What would you do if you got scammed? Would you suffer in silence or would you do something about it? Well, I got scammed once and this is the story of what I did. I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a true crime podcast from The Ringer. And for seven episodes, we're hunting a con man, a guy with a lot of aliases, a guy who's ruined a lot of weddings. And with the help of some friends, I just might be able to catch him. Listen to The Wedding Scammer on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Today we have grim tales from behind celebrity lines. Yeah, that's it's our, not an uplifting episode week. today. I, I don't know what to say. We I <laughs> Just, liked it's our, a warning. I, I liked our pre-show banter that we, you know, that was that was a fun mood, primarily about couch and carpet cleaning. Yes. And from there, it's gonna get serious because top topic of the day. The Woman in Me by Britney Spears, which we've both read, I would say, I, I know that I've read about, I've listened to about four out of five hours, which means that Amanda's read, read the functional equivalent of four out of five hours. My iPad Kindle edition says I'm about 70% of the way through. Okay, cool. So we haven't completely finished it. There's still a lot to discuss. Also want to note, big Vanity Fair article about the Real Housewives that we will be discussing. Some amendments to topics discussed last week where perhaps things will get a little bit lighter. And let's just start with it, Amanda. The death of Matthew Perry is incredibly sad. Incredibly sad. I don't have a ton to add to it. He wrote a memoir last year that talks about his career, his time on Friends, and also his struggles with substance abuse. And I admire people who can speak that honestly and openly about something that is really hard and really affects a lot of people. And very sad. Our thoughts are with his family. I'm going to read his quote 
that my friend Alice posted. And it's about how he wants to be remembered, which I think is a nice thing to share right now. Yes. Part of the uh, media around his memoir last year was how he talked about how he thinks he'll be remembered when he died. And he acknowledged that he'll be, friends will be the first thing people will talk about, which is true. But this is what he said. He said this on the podcast, Q with Tom Power. I'd like to be remembered as somebody who lived well, loved well, was a seeker. And his paramount thing was that he wants to help people. That's what I want. The best thing about me, bar none, is that if somebody comes to me and says, I can't stop drinking, can you help me? I can say yes and follow up and do it. When I die, I don't want friends to be the first thing that's mentioned. I want them to be the first thing. And I want that to be the first thing that's mentioned. And I'm going to live the rest of my life proving that. Hank Azaria, who is his friend, has talked a lot about how Matthew Perry helped him get sober. And I think he was doing just that over the last year. So just tremendously, tremendously sad. I can't believe it. Yeah, I I don't think that you and I have anything else to add, except a real tragedy. Let's talk about Britney Spears. Also really sad. I just, you know, last week we talked about it, like there were some takes and there's, there's a lot to dig into, but like there is just no better short description of the contents of her, of her memoir than to say she has lived a sad and just incredibly challenging life in her, in her short time alive. Honestly, it's like, it is a tough read because it's so sad. I completely agree. You texted me yesterday afternoon with some thoughts and identifying some notes. And, and I, who am not typically a procrastinator on Sunday afternoon had not started it yet because I just, I knew that it was sort of going to be bummer town and I didn't. And there has been a lot of coverage, so I was getting snippets of it and even hearing snippets of the audiobook read by Michelle Williams, which I believe you listened to. I did, yes. I did I did Kindle a Sunday night. And I was just very sad. I, like I, <laughs> I know we're sort of on a on a broken record, but I think that the actual contents and her version of Really, her life starting from the Mickey Mouse Club, but on through fame, her relationship with Justin Timberlake, her marriage, her custody issues, her substance issues, the conservatorship, her version of it was all like deeply felt and angry and justifiably so. And a little bit unresolved. Definitely. Which makes it all the more upsetting. And vivid, there are specific anecdotes and sentences that are very clearly just coming verbatim from her memory and from whoever she was working with. I would like to talk a little bit about memoir writing and ghostwriting and and all of that stuff. I believe that Sam Lansky was the ghostwriter on this. Who I I don't know, but he wrote for Grantland, so I remember the name. I I don't work with him directly, but when I worked there, I remember like we published stuff that he wrote. And he's written I believe that he was a journalist at Time for a while and he's LA based. Yeah, he moved to LA. He wrote wrote his own memoir about substance abuse. Exactly. As a teen. And he's from New York and, and went to rehab quite young. Yeah. So... There's obviously there is someone else working with Brittany to shape this, and I think you can see that at times. It's interesting what is what there is a lot of memory and detail attached to, and what is very 
kind of drive by and what she spends a sentence on and what she spends several chapters on, what recurs and, and, and what you can tell really, really just like word for word comes from her or what you imagine word for word comes from, from her memory. And all of that stuff is really jarring. It's also, as you and I discussed, selective, as I would as I would guess all memoirs are. Yeah, all memoirs are. I want to get into that. But I before we sort of get into like how to interpret it, I thought one thing that would like just be worthwhile is um, I don't know, Amanda, how much of the coverage you've read. Obviously, we talked about it last week. I was kind of curious to like see how people were covering it. And I would say like my summary of the memoir is like quite different than most of the headlines I've read, which is, which is not surprising. And I think we anticipated that with our conversations last week, but I'm just sort of curious, like what would you sum up is like the thrust of the, of the book? I, Britney Spears was incredibly wronged mm-hmm. and I'm still being wronged and I'm still really angry about it. Yeah. I think she she talks about her anger. I was surprised by how specific she was and how... And so I guess like my answer for that is I don't trust anyone because of my father, my mother, Justin Timberlake and Kevin Federline and, that, and like the music industry. But she's so specific about how the betrayals by those four people like just so utterly broke her mm-hmm. and not even necessarily in that order. I would say, but like, she just, she says in the book, I, I've never trusted anybody since like basically since her divorce from Kevin Federline. And in some ways it's like, I'm going to say this and I think it's going to sound dismissive. I don't mean it that way, but it's almost like a breakup album. Like she's still so angry about some of her breakups, not just romantically, but also from her family. She's clearly very angry at her sister. She is absolutely brutal. Uh, to her sister, which, you know, I'm I'm not her sister and I wasn't there, but it right. is noticeable. In some ways, she has the least, maybe, I think I'm just going to say definitively, I think she has the least tenderness from anyone in the book is her sister, Jamie Lynn Spears. Yes. She seems like incredibly, incredibly mad at her in a, in a way that's that's different than the way that like her love for Justin Timberlake or, you know, her love for her sons might temper her feelings towards Kevin Federline and JT. But I was just surprised at how, I guess I was surprised by how specific she was about her various relationships, because even though she doesn't name like the photographer who she had a relationship with, like after she shaved her head and stuff, like it's very Googleable. Like I was like, yeah, I remember that. And like, you can go figure And, you know, I assume this book was scrutinized by legal for, to make sure she wouldn't be countersued. And like, you can tell, in some of the like not including names on some things, like you can tell from that, like that this there's a lot of like liability consideration, but it was a lot more focused on the way that her various breakups, like I said, affected her than than I expected. Yeah, I you've isolated something that stuck out to me as well, which is this is a story about Britney Spears's personal life, from but she is focused on the personal stuff, and she's obviously had a extremely successful career that came at a great expense to her. I would, I think she would say it at too great an expense. Yeah. But she does talk about the various albums and the VMA performances and all of the, you know, the quote unquote, the iconic moments, if you will. And those are written essentially like a Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. She's like, I was in a, you know, Pepsi commercial 
And there's one anecdote about the, you know, there's a paragraph about the snake at the VMAs. It's a paragraph about the Super Bowl. Right. There's a paragraph about Blackout, which she then refers to a lot as the greatest music of her career and something that she was very proud of professionally, but like the actual professional process or, you know, that that is one paragraph among many, many chapters about her family, about her relationships, about her children. Like, I get it. I'm, I'm not saying that either is, is good or bad, but I think I was surprised at like how purely personally focused it it was that seems like that is what that's where her energy is focused yeah and and it's funny because it's the parts that i found the most insightful was her commentary her interpretation of the other celebrities around her outside of the ones that she dated but like in one part she talks about how she was bad at celebrity and she never really enjoyed it and she's like but and she's this is a paraphrase like she's like i look at someone like jennifer lopez like she was always good at it she clearly like knows how to do it yeah, And then she's really impacted by Madonna and her interaction with her at the VMAs and then they had a song together. And she's like so impressed by how Madonna commands like the like the world around her basically. And Britney says like she's still learning how to to do that basically. And I, I mm-hmm. thought those those insights of her as a professional, I actually like really wanted more of because there's a, another part. There's not like one line in the book. I think it's in relation to... um litigating the way, like how Kevin Federline wouldn't see her after their sons were born. And she's like, she acknowledges that he disagrees with some of her, her side of the story or her perception of the story. And she says like, all I have is my experience. And taking that into account, I did, I I was sort of, maybe this is just my personal interest. I'm more, I'm more curious about her personal experience, like navigating some of the celebrity of it all, which is also why I found like the stuff about her friendship with Harris Hilton really interesting. She's very warm to Paris Hilton. I was shocked. I had no idea about that. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know they were close friends? I didn't. And I'm not sure I got the impression that they remain super close friends. So over the weekend, Paris Hilton, it was was Halloween. Celebrities, some of them dressed up. Juliet and I don't care. No, we don't. We we don't engage in adult Halloween. But Paris Hilton, one of her Halloween costumes was Britney from the Toxic video. That, you know, the blue flight attendant suit, which I think was received as, you know, like a response to the memoir. So I think there are warm feelings, even if they are no longer in touch. But, you know, I did think some of the Paris stuff was about trying to, like, recontextualize that 2006, 2007 partying run, which she even admits, you know, she says in the book, like, listen, I was partying. I was on Adderall, not on, you know, Coke or, you know, whatever you assume. She says the only and, drug she used was Adderall. Right. But she says, like, it was time. She even says it was time for me to pull it in. I was I was going for it. But she didn't think that she was, you know, too out of control. And the thing that she seems angriest about is her mom yelling at her one night when she yeah. gets home. And it's not the the tabloid coverage. I mean, she she seems aware of the media coverage. Big time. Yeah, I mean, she talks about, you know, wanting to fight them occasionally. Right. On, on a few occasions, I should say. Well, she talks a lot about the paparazzi and she yeah. talks about the head shaving incident and then the umbrella attack, which is the result of her being turned away from Kevin Federline's home without being able to see her children. And she talks about a couple paparazzi incidents where the children were with her. 
And she was, you know, very stressed out about it. And she talks, but but that is, that's kind of paparazzi, interpersonally focused. Mm -hmm. And she does also do a fair amount of kind of like larger mass media, whether it's the infamous Diane Sawyer interview that was kind of surfaced in the New York Times documentary as as being a real turning point. That the the Matt Lauer interview, where he asks about her parenting, and then talk show hosts making you know weird comments about her, and the the kind of infantilization you know must be a virgin aspect of her. So. She is definitely aware of all of that, but it still seems that she's a lot angrier about the people directly in her life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was curious, I was thinking about you reading it because she seems so, you know, I think her love for her sons is really, really evident and she's so angry and hurt. You know, she talks a lot about her grief and the main source of grief is not being able to be with her kids because of how the divorce has been positioned. And, you know, I was just curious, like, was it hard for you to read that stuff being a mom yourself? Like, what was your reaction to that? Because I think it's the most, regardless of your station, of like who you are, like, yeah. it's a really wrenching, sad, sad piece that's, like, incredibly I, just yeah, tragic. I, the, as a mom stuff, I'm I'm hesitant to, to, to wade into, but, like, I definitely felt physically ill. Yeah, of course. It's, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to judge think, her parenting. I don't want to, like, yeah, no, the and picture. I think but. Many, and I think many people, no, not physically ill because of the parenting, because of how she's as- describing the sensation of not being able to be near your children. And she has one line that I read last night right before I went to bed, which just absolutely wrecked me, which is, she was like, that taking a nap with my kids is the closest I've ever felt to God, holding mm. their little hands. And I, like, I'm not a particularly religious person, but that, like, I got that. And that yeah. is just, and that was, I thought, really beautiful and really honest. And that was one where you felt it was coming right from her. And, you know, she quotes a friend being like, if they took my kids away from me, I it wouldn't, you know, fight someone. I'd burn the whole city down. And and I, I really get that, as as millions of people do. Like, sure. you know, and, and I don't think that you have to be a parent to understand that. But I did find them to be the most affecting. For yeah. sure. And and she is very clear about, I entered into the conservatorship to see my kids. Like, the, yeah. the fear and a lot of the stuff that, you know, partying or, like, whatever behavior aside, like, I I wanted to see my kids. And, and I was terrified of losing my kids. Yeah. And everyone was using my kids as a pawn against me. Right. And I, I don't know what I would do, you know? I just, I don't. The other thing she's really aware of is how everyone's using her for money. And yet... She's not aware enough. Like, she's so mad at her dad for, you know, using her for money and whatnot. But then she, like, gives these, like, this, the, her photographer boyfriend, like, the benefit of the doubt that he's just, like, trying to be nice to her. I think she comes to realize that he's not, but it's just so sad. She's so looking for someone to be on her side so deeply that anyone who positioned themselves that way, she was, like, willing to accept. Like, also, like, Paris Hilton, who seems like really is on her side. But, you know, there's just a lot of... She's had so much like emotional trauma that like her judgment and who to trust is like clearly so clou- clouded. And it has nothing to do with her as a mother, by the way. It's just I know that I followed up that conversation. No, but no, I was no. Just thinking just, about the, it, the things, the takeaways, the things that stay with you. Yeah, yeah. And I think, especially on the money stuff, I think because she comes to realize that the conservatorship is a, it you know is just how people are making money off of her and they're making right. so much money off of her and she i think that she's still incredibly angry about that 
which why wouldn't why wouldn't you be? I mean, right. the, the details of the conservatorship remain so confounding to this day that it like it was overturned. Totally. It's it's confusing. I don't know, man. It's really it's really bleak. I will say the Justin Timberlake stuff. It's hard to read. It's just sort of like I feel not because I think he's like as much of a monster as some headlines will make you think. I do think he's a, a per, he's done a lot of really objectionable things, especially towards women. But it's just a really bad breakup. It's just so sad. And like, you know yeah, what it's like to it's be really 20 sad. and have your heart broken and just feel so fucking betrayed by someone. Also, I don't think I ever realized that they were actually, I don't think as even as a teen, I like bought into their relationship to the extent that it really was real. Like she lived with him. She went home with him for holidays. Like, I don't think I realized that. I As a Backstreet Boys partisan, I didn't give NSYNC or Britney Spears as much attention as other people may have. And so <laughs> I was like, wow, that was real. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. It was yeah. really sad. I mean, you know, they, they were also teenagers. Sure. And she was young. I they, they lived together in the sense that she would come home for two weeks every six months or so from touring, you know? Right. Right. Which which is not to diminish her feelings, her experience, anything like that. I just always, you know, celebrity relationships at any age are different yeah. than ours. But I just also think that it's very clear that he and his family were kind of one of the only steady things that mm-hmm. she had to hold on to during, you know, she's like 19, the most famous person in the world being ogled, you know, all of the time. It's just, it it's it's a lot of pressure and attention to be put on a very young person without a support system from a family, which, you know, who can, the parenting stuff is is very bad. She's very angry at them. They also don't seem hugely present in the right way. No. I guess. No, no, no. It's, yeah, it's tough. I thought the, I thought there's a couple interesting things. Can I share maybe one on popular opinion before we? Absolutely. Was her mom so wrong for being mad at her for partying? I don't know. It didn't seem the safest thing in the world. Also, like, no, my mom would I, be mad at me too. Yeah. I mean, that one, listen, I had, I came home around that age once from a night out and, and my mom let me know that that was not the right way to behave. And, and my, my mom was Same. right. Then my mom took me to Waffle House uh, for my hangover, <laughs> which was really nice of my mom. But I, you know, I, th- I think that anecdote is really revealing because that is the thing that Brittany is it, it, like is highlighting as the thing that has stayed with her. Yeah, it broke her relationship with her mom. Right. Though she does then talk about the book that her mom wrote and the tour that she went on to talk right. about her parenting and how Brittany was cast during that tour. And, you know, you wonder a little bit if it's like a, all the events afterwards have made her extra mad about that particular fight. And the yeah. fight is just something that she like remembers very clearly. You know, that that's a thing where I was thinking about ghostwriting a bit, a lot during the reading of this. Not because... Like everybody uses a ghostwriter. Ghostwriters are are great. Um, it's a good idea. If, yeah, I think yeah, this hel- and, I think the, the ghostwriter helped Britney Spears a lot in this case. And writing is really hard and, and time consuming and sucks. And so <laughs> I like so it, it's not a judgment thing, but I I was very curious how they did it and kind of because I because it's not I, I don't think no one would sit down and just start speaking from the top of their head 
in chronological order about all of these things. And so it it is certain memories will pop out because you're asked like, oh, so what do you remember about this time? And what, Brit, you know, what you remember from that time is like me coming home and my mom really yelling at me, you know? So I, it's both that maybe because of the way these things get written, that certain memories are maybe not overweighted, but certain memories take on like narrative function that are greater, maybe not even unintended because they're representative, but it's because it is what's sticking out in her mind. But it's like, it's different than sitting down and saying, I would like to tell you this whole story and make this the most important one because I, because I have decided that this is the most representative aspect of the experience for me. It's sort of like unintentionally revealing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, what I think you're getting at is that there's, and, and you meant, and this is sort of what you're getting at earlier when you were saying like, what gets a, a chapter, what gets a paragraph, is that there are clearly certain memories that Britney Spears has that have really stuck with her. And mm-hmm. I think that those have been cast in the book as like pivot points or yes. turning points or whatever. And then it seems like Britney Spears and Sam Lansky, let's just assume it was him who's the the, the ghostwriter, pretty sure it was, based on reporting. It seems like he was the book, their their collaboration was true to honoring like these sort of very vivid memories that stood out for her. And there's a couple others that we can name while then taking probably other parts of their work together and in their interviews to create this narrative that builds on how all of the people in her inner circle, circle, like the four people we mentioned, her dad, her mom, Justin, and Kevin, exploited her at some point. Like, yes. it, And for a sustained period of time, all got very rich on it. And, you know, and the main, the main expense was her well-being. And I think that, like, the, the crystallized memories all contribute to that. And that is a really big, like, narrative achievement that, like, you can walk away from, you know, this book with such a clear understanding of how it seems like Britney Spears got from TRL to where she is now after the conservatorship. And I think that like, that's a, a hard thing to do and, and also accomplishes the goal of hearing Britney's side, which we haven't been able to hear for a long time for a lot of reasons. But I also say that like wanting to reinforce that this is Britney's side of the story. Like, I think it's important to point out that like Kevin Fenderline's wife before Britney Spears, Char Jackson, like has come out refuting some of what's in the book. I I don't know who's correct, but she's Britney says she didn't know that Kevin had kids and that his previous wife was pregnant and Char Jackson said that wasn't true. Who knows what is and isn't true? But I think that like the book is successful in telling Britney Spears's perspective of all these events from the last like 20 plus years. Yeah, I no, I agree with you. I what you point out is that it it uses all of these very specific and illustrative anecdotes to build a narrative that I do believe Britney Spears understands to be true mm-hmm. and understands as an exact or as an honest representation of her feelings. But I do wonder... Of her feelings. That's the important thing that you just of said. Of her like, feelings. Yes. yes. Not necessarily like if you were to create a chronology based on, you know, several accounts. Like, it's not reporting. It's a memoir. Right. And it is also, there is someone else helping her even with that crystallization, right? Yeah. You know, there is yeah. someone else guiding, okay, like, you're you're saying all of these different things. And to me, that is indicating that you 
feel angry. And even the decision that, okay, let's focus on these four people and focus on like the, you know, the personal betrayals and anger. I, I'm, I'm not casting aspersions anywhere. It's just an interest. It's interesting to think about the fact because we're so focused on this being like Britney's pure version of events, Mm -hmm. you know, like how pure is it, which is not to discount it. It's just, it's interesting when you think about all of her, like much of the book is about other people mediating what it is, what it is to be Britney. Yeah. And so, and, and that's another thing where I find the Michelle Williams audiobook sort of an interesting choice. And one of the reasons I didn't listen to it because I think it's really cool that she did it. Again, there's nothing negative about it. It's just that that is someone else like doing her own interpretation of Britney Spears. Yeah. So the big, it begins with Britney in her own, like Britney speaking in her own voice. Like this is too painful for me to rehash. So someone else is going to read it. Michelle Williams reads the book like she is James Garner in the the notebook Mm -hmm. telling Allie what happened to her. And I felt (laughs) like I was in a Nicholas Sparks book. And then like... It's a a great reference. (laughs) And then I would like remember... And then it would talk about like TRL, the VMAs. And I was like, yeah, I really remember that. I was like in my parents' living room dancing along to the TV when she and NSYNC performed together. And like... It was weird, like, having, like, reality intrude, like, my own memory intrude on Michelle Williams tell these stories of things that I experienced in real time. I think that Michelle Williams is, like, a great reader. She's very captivating. I think that sh- her her interpretation of Britney's voice is is fascinating. And I think that what you were highlighting about, like, you could tell this one sentence is, like, pure Britney, and then the rest feels like maybe some kind of collaboration or some synthesis that the ghostwriter put together. Yeah, or just not even that. It's It's just, like, it's excise from the transcript, you know? Well, you can hear it in, in yeah. the audiobook. Like, you can kind of hear it uh, in her diction. Often, like, there are some short sentences. And when Michelle Williams reads a short sentence, like, the diction and the punctuation on it is very clear. And there's, like, a breath after the period. Like, she's a great voice actress. Like, she's a great voice performer. She should do more of this. And by the way, if you're interested in hearing about this, get the audiobook on Spotify. I just want to mention that. I tried. It's available November 9th. But... It really changed the experience, I think. I also think in some ways it's a negative. Like, I was very aware that I was listening to Michelle Williams. And so I would like, in my head, I was like driving around the city as I was listening to it. And I was like thinking of all the images that she's referring to, but I was still thinking about them as like I saw them originally because I still wasn't hearing from Britney directly. Right. I think that that is kind of what I'm isolating. And that's not to besmirch the exercise or to try to invalidate this as an expression of, like, Brittany herself. I just was extra aware of the form and sort of, like, maybe the ultimate impossibility of getting, like, Brittany's true side of the story or really anybody's true side of the story, you know, not to get existential, but there is kind of, there are limits to all of these exercises. (laughs) Of course. I mean, it's really interesting. Like, you know, there's now so many phases of Brittany and, I mean, there already were, but now we're in this like hyper meta one where she's commenting on things in real time and she is not doing press except for using her own Instagram, which she teased that there'd be a part two coming. And like we I'm just sort of like back where we started. It's really sad. And I worry about Britney Spears's well-being. Like that's just kind of the sad state I, of things. I do as well. Like, you know, and I, we go back to you and I are like the leave Britney alone generation. And I yeah. think that was my other reluctance to read this. And I, th- I think she wants people to read it. So I feel okay with it. But, you know, my hope is that 
one day everyone can leave Brittany alone and she can go live a peaceful life. I'm I don't know sure if she, she wants, wants that. I don't know I if know. she wants to be left alone. She says that she likes performing. Like, I think she does like her fans. And she's well, I, there's I, a difference between liking performing and liking your fans. Well, she claims she likes both. Uh, right. Her fans the, remind her of something positive, but you know, I don't think you put this out if you really want to have a quiet life. And I don't think that you, and also, by the way, if she did it mostly for money, I get it and I support it, especially Absolutely. after so much of her money has been taken yeah. from her. But even so, like, I, I think that she, you know, there's another moment where she says, like, she liked to play basketball and like, that's why she also like dance. Like she likes the physical aspect of it. Right. And like, I, I hope she can get back to performing maybe, or if that's what she wants. The most noticeable thing about Michelle Williams's performance is how she says the word tour to her. Like Michelle Williams oh. has, has like the real Queens English. <laughs> and it's really something. I wish she was doing press around this. I'd love to interview her about uh, the whole experience. And also you can hear some edits. I mean, that's just because I've, I've been listening to a lot of our own, our own tape. And right, I'm very right, right. Aware so you can hear the cuts. Yeah. Of like room changes, but it's pretty fascinating. I'm glad that we did it separately so that we also like had different experiences with the book. I feel like it's yeah. good fodder. Yeah. You know, let's get Brittany some money. I guess if you're down for a grim read, check this out or a grim listen. Yeah, we we both did. You can do a, a, free, a month free of Audible to listen to it right now. Or if you're a Spotify subscriber on premium, November 9th, you can listen to it as part of your 15 free hours a month. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Let's move on. Another story about celebrity came out today in Vanity Fair. It's been brewing for a while. It's been rumored. It's a big, I wouldn't call it an expose, but a big look into some of the, to use the word of the day, grimmer scenes of Bravo of recent years. Bethany Frankel, Leah McSweeney, and Ebony K. Williams, all of the Real Housewives of New York at separate times, Leah and Ebony overlapped, talked about the dark behind the scenes of making the Real Housewives. And there's some really incendiary quotes from anonymous sources as well, who are also housewives. Amanda, 
Not being a Bravo watcher or a big mm-hmm. reality TV person, what was your response to this article? Did you read all of it? It's very long. I did read all of it, though wow. I will admit at some point when it gets into the more specific allegations, there are so many, you know, proper nouns that I didn't recognize that I, w- I was sort of skimming at some point when like the eighth producer on a show I've never heard of is like <laughs> saying, so, you, you know, like you, 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 I could only hold so much detail. But my overall response, which I was equal parts, well, maybe 30% disgust, 70% bewilderment. Mm. But it's easier to have the bewilderment when you're not a part, you've never really consumed the stuff. Like, I, I, I'm i not saying like, oh, I knew that so-and-so was incredibly racist. And so then out of principle, I never watched any of like, you know, The Real Housewives. That's not the case at all. I just felt, I, I've never, it's never been my cup of tea. And so I was just... I had the similar sense of just being like, I don't really get what's going on here, but this seems bad, uh, which is how how I feel about a lot of reality TV. I felt like I was reading about the NFL. Oh, okay. I felt like I was reading about something very popular that everyone knows has a lot of friction and just like bad behavior behind the scenes that everyone knows is probably long-term, not great for the health of the people you see on TV and something that people are not going to quit. Like this is not the first time there is like a housewives like expose or whatever. Also the three people who spoke on the record are like not going to be back on any of the shows. So they had like an, an ax to grind. And I think that the, there was one quote from someone who was unnamed. I I don't even have a guess at who it was. I have really no idea. Although there's a lot of New York in this. So maybe it's a former New York, a current New York housewife. Although probably not because they're all new, but this is what it said. (laughs) If you go to the horror house, you're going to get fucked. If we do this, it's at our own peril. We know that we don't fucking care. Have I been put through the ringer? A hundred percent. Still better than my worst day withering away at a life of quiet desperation. And then someone else said, and and then she turned to other Bravo people and said, how do I ever be happy after this. And, you know, to go on these shows is a sickness. I don't want to say that people who are in the NFL have a sickness, but I do think that there's a lot of just like unwell people who go on these shows and sign up for it. Should unwell unwell people be put into these positions? That's another conversation. Or maybe it's related. But I just feel like none of this was that new. And to the point that you, you were referring to some of the quotes from and about Ramona Singer, who's been fired from the Real Housewives of New York. Ramona is bad. I feel comfortable in saying that unequivocally. Um, Ramona is bad. I think Ramona has acted in a racist manner. She does not seem to have learned and she's not apologetic. Ramona is bad. They put her back on another show because people love her. It's sick. But I just think a lot of this is like the NFL. That's sort of like the only thing I can really come back to. And I think that all these articles, as the writer Anna Peel says, is written by people who like love this shit, but like want it to be less corrosive to society. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah, is that possible? It's a different kind of, it's different. Like you don't build the Bravo world. Like you don't, you know, you don't build Bachelor Nation. Like there are these, like they become these self-sustaining universes that like require a lot of compromise to put it lightly. You know, so I I don't know. I think maybe part of this piece, if it, there is a lot of discussion of the producers and the behind the scenes, you know, kind of what people know, what they don't know, what is the involvement of 
not just people working for Bravo, but the various tiers of production companies and 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 to some extent the viewers, you know, mm-hmm. like that that's like a separate thing, but what does participating in this show as a producer or as a as a viewer mean as opposed to the quote that you read, which is like what does participating in this show mean as a like actual reality person? And I I think there were a few examples of producer behavior that would violate workplace, you yeah. know, expectations. I'm not I'm not a expert on certainly seems manipulative like someone being afraid to leave leave the set to go to their grandmother's bedside as she's dying right though even that one uh, okay whatever yeah why did leah do that i don't know uh, right and and even the way that it is portrayed in the piece is this this person just being like i didn't feel this and i felt that and this person said this thing one way and i felt it to mean another which is how she felt but anyway there weren't that many examples of the producers doing anything like outright obviously evil it or or maybe there were it was just kind of like all again it was the same thing it was like this is like the culture of the thing i don't know it's like and and i would assume as a viewer it's i, I don't know how you uncomplicate something that where complication is like the appeal of the of the project yeah well this pre- previous season, this the season of Real Housewives of New York, the reboot that just wrapped up that I was so dubious about. Like I really loved, and I loved it because the the drama was frivolous, and also they fight a lot, but like they also all legitimately really like each other. Also, I'll just say it's much much more diverse. One woman is from Somalia. One woman is an Afro Latina. One woman is English of Indian descent, like, and then an- another woman identifies as black as well. Like, it's just a, a lot more diverse. So it's like starting from a different point. And I think the Ramona of it all would like probably wouldn't have, I'd like to think wouldn't happen now. I do think that maybe they learned the lesson a little bit, but I, I don't know. I-, I think that like, it depends on what kind of drama you want. I'm curious to see if they, how much of this cast they bring back from New York because if they've deemed this a success, then I think that is kind of a new path forward right. because the type, the things they're fighting over are so much less fraught. And also like the people are, are frankly a lot smarter. I was like, wow, this is a really smart cast. As I was watching the, uh, the reunion. Right. This it's like the, the, it's like real people. It's not like caricatures. I mean, and there are also smaller things like they, not, not smaller things, but there are actions you can take such as like the alcohol limits, which they explain you know, I, I don't know whether two drinks an hour, which is apparently the bachelor limit, is exactly yeah. like doing a lot. But I, yeah, I, I don't think they, it is. Also, I think it's been rolled back. I don't know that for sure, but just based on okay. watching, I think that's been rolled back. They at least go through the regulations <laughs> in other franchises and point out that there are no such regulations on Bravo right now. And, you know, it, it seems like there better there are better ways to do this. Um, that is currently happening. Yes. I also will say, like, not this excuses things, but the Bravo women tend to be older than the Bachelor women and, and Bachelor people in general. And so I think that there's a different relationship amongst each other and to the producers. Not to say, like, you can't be manipulated at 55 and only at 25, but I do think that, like, the way the Vanity Fair article pointed out how the how the women themselves, like, would hide alcohol around was, like, kind of interesting to me and something that wouldn't have on The Bachelor. I also completely believe that the producers are probably happy about that. And also it does fuel 
some drama. So right. or the other thing that drama. stuck out to me is uh, when one of the main characters in the piece gets paid two hundred and fifty k for one week in Thailand. Yeah, that's a lot of money. I know. I, I so you know I and I think the amount of money that you can get for this stuff really changes things. We didn't mention Bethany Frankel, who's been like the motivating force behind this. Mm-hmm. Bethany's like barely in the article, but like there's a lot of this photo shoot with her. And I was just like, oh, it's just very hard to respect Bethany at this point. But that's a side <laughs> note. Also, I quibbled the fact that she's the most successful housewife of all time, which it said, I think Teresa is probably by like housewives popularity and ratings, the most popular housewife of all time. Teresa from New York, from New Jersey, excuse me. Oh, she's the one who went to jail? Yes, she went to jail. Okay. She's also like now... Um, a bodybuilder. Did she have to give back? Like, I think she's made it back. I, I don't okay. know. I think All she's right. made it. And then also, Nene Leaks is also like hugely successful. Yes. Yeah. And like, I think that she's probably as successful, if not more, than Bethany. So I just want to say I disagree. Okay. <laughs> Any other notes as an expert Bravo watcher? I think the tide is turning on Andy Cohen. I'm curious to see how that plays out. I my primary interactions with Andy Cohen are the reels that get served to me on Instagram of his dad content cuz I I guess I intersect on a couple of those. His kid seems very charming. Here's my problem with his dad content and this goes to a lot of parent content but I think it's a key with him because of his recent di- his recent Daddy Diaries book and he's such a big advocate. He made sur- surrogacy legal in New York, which I think is awesome. Or he didn't do it alone, but he was a major, major advocate for it and whatever. Never seen his nanny. Right. Yeah. There's absolutely no mention of childcare anywhere. And like the the content that I get served is him dropping his child off at Or like, oh, I've woken up so early. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And also, there's literally nothing. I think there's nothing wrong with having childcare, no parent, nanny, whatever he has. Childcare is is wonderful. And I'm grateful for all the child all the women who care for my child every day of my life. Yeah, but I'm just like, why pretend it's any other way? Yeah, I don't know. He's got a demanding job. Any demand, any parent with a demanding job needs help, I think. Yeah, anyway, so I don't know whether he's trying to play to to dad content in order to get ahead of this or who knows. It's probably just for, just probably because it plays. Yeah. All right, last note of the day. It's been a heavy episode. I got to lighten things up a little bit. Listen. One of my joys of this past month has been reading about Ashlyn Harris and Sophia Bush and making fun of Sophia Bush. But I only want to make fun of her fairly. And I must note that I denied her the credit for being involved in women's soccer last week. In fact, she's been apparently in the women's soccer world for a long time. As you pointed out, I believe she is an investor in Angel City. And she also is a big part of the foundation of getting the Red Stars in Chicago launched as a club as well. So Sophia Bush, I'm sorry. That's all I, I just want. I just wanted to make a apology and acknowledge my error. That's beautiful. You know, <laughs> healing starts here. So thank you, Juliet. And good luck to the Red Stars and to Angel City. I saw someone wearing an Angel City They're popular. sweatshirt yesterday on the street. I, I feel like Los Angeles. Do you think like- if I stopped that person and been like, do you want to talk about Sophia Bush and Ashlyn Harris? They would have been open or they would have been like, you are coming to this uh, from a negative place and I don't want to talk to you. I feel this piece of gossip is a source of, of glee for many and I bet they would have been interested in discussing it with you. Okay. 
It's a grim time in the Britney Spears universe. It's a grim time in the world. At least we have something silly to laugh about so long. And listen, Ashlyn and Allie's kids are okay. Yeah. As long as the kids are okay, some people found love, you know? Exactly. At the expense of some other people um, who they were legally married to. But whatever. People, it's it's about love. (laughs) It's a great point. It's about love. Thank you to our producer, Jade Whaley. Um, We'll be back next week.